The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Meet the Visionary Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run business is run SAP. You'll hear from thought leaders who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to address societal topics, and more importantly, they will discuss how these technologies and strategies can shake up the status quo in your company's future and help your organization move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome if you want to run with the Game Changers. Oh, I promise you're in the right place. I know I say that on every show, but today, this is going to be a wow, I promise you. So, let me get started. The buzz on the street, I gotta be me. What is she talking about? No, I'm not going to sing, don't worry. Okay, our appetite for everything online, reading, viewing, buying, searching, connecting, it's voracious. If you don't know what that means, look it up. It means we're hungry all the time. We're very hungry. Let me give you a couple examples. Alibaba, in eight minutes, on Singles Day, November 2015, achieved $1 billion in sales. That's right. I said a billion dollars in eight minutes. Okay, put that aside. Now, while many of us are in stores, brick and mortar, looking at a product, handling a package, looking at some signage and saying, oh, that's interesting, 42% of us are searching online for the same product to get information about it, to decide whether we're going to buy it there in the store or whether we're going to buy it online. So we are, again, voracious for information online. And here's a factoid I think you'll all, well, we can all admit it. We all spend, on average, two more hours a day on mobile devices than we did three years ago. I didn't say 10 minutes. I didn't say 20 minutes. I said two more hours a day, implying we were already spending hours a day on mobile devices. What's going on here? Well, there's a technology tidal wave. It's keeping us connected. It's keeping us social. It's keeping us informed. And now let's look at the business picture because we're here on the business channel. Here's a news flash. Small businesses want a piece of the action. Why not? Why should they sit on the sidelines and watch what I call the big behemoth enterprises and corporations get all of the business? So here's the challenge. Think about a small business. They started from somebody's idea. Well, every business did, but some of them are in that smaller, small to mid-sized stage, perhaps a brand new startup. They have a personal touch. They have a persona, a personality of a person or a small group of people. How can they become a better digital version of their business without losing the personal touch, the personal side, the human touch that made them unique and made many of us want to do business with them in the first place? Ah, very, very interesting. So we're juxtaposing today. Our title for the show is Becoming Digital, Staying Human. Be true to you, 
yourself and your business. I have a panel of three experts, and they really are. Let's get started. First up, I'm very pleased to welcome Lil Moen, M-O-H-A-N. His first name is Lil, L-I-L, just like it sounds. He's an entrepreneur. Well, that's another reason he's here. He's also an academician with a passion for bringing great technology products and services to life. And his academic background is Lil is on the faculty at the University of Chicago Booth Graduate School of Business. So there you go. There are his credentials. Lil has brought me a quote, brought us a quote from Clay Shirky. I had no idea who Clay Shirky was, S-H-I-R-K-Y. Of course, I looked it up. He's the author of two well-known books, Cognitive Surplus, and Here Comes Everybody. Let me just tell you what Here Comes Everybody is about. He's uh, Look up Clay Shirky when you have time. He's a very interesting guy with a huge credentials. Uh, by the way, he was the first professor of new media in the media studies department at Hunter College, where he developed the Masters of Fine Arts MFA in Integrated Media. Arts program. Wow. Here Comes Everybody explains how Clay Shirky has long spoken in favor of crowdsourcing and collaborative efforts online. He uses the phrase, the internet runs on love, to describe the nature of these collaborations. I'll stop right there. Here's the quote. The change we are in the middle of isn't minor and it isn't optional. Lil Moen, how are you? I'm great. How are you, Bonnie? I'm excited, Lil. I've never heard of Clay Shirky. I've never heard of Here Comes Everybody. I love the idea the Internet runs on love. I would even go so far as to say it runs on passion and love. So, Lil, are you? how are you familiar with Clay Shirky? Uh, have you met him academically? And how come you picked this quote for our show today? It turns out that he has written a bunch of material which I use in my class. Which I, I, the more I read about him, the more I think he's sort of voicing many of the things that I want to say in my class of digital marketing. And, you know, digital marketing is new, and it turns out that when I, when I use some of these quotes, it kind of gets people into a much better frame of mind to understand what's going on around them. Particularly, a lot of people come to my class saying, okay, what is this digital stuff all about? And, uh, you know, I tell them that, you know, there are so many things changing around you so fast, and uh, not many of you are watching, or some of you are watching, but not everybody is. It turns out that a lot of his uh, materials are on point, and this particular uh, comment I use in the, at the very beginning of my course, what happens is I tell people, you know, it's not that you're going to completely avoid being a digital persona. Uh, you just, you just mm-hmm. cannot avoid it un- unless, of course, you plan to choose to avoid using drinking water and avoid using electricity and avoid <laughs> using the automobile. And I mean, you, you, could, you thank, could decide thank to. Thank you. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> That's called living under a rock in a faraway place, unconnected, untethered, right? Unplugged, if you will. Lil, I'm, I'm so fascinated. Just a little side note here about Clay. I don't know if you know this, but in the 1990s, he founded a theater company called the Hard Place Theater, and they produced nonfiction theater using only what they call found materials, get this, like government documents, transcripts, cultural records, and he worked as a lighting designer for other theater companies. He was also the vice president of the New York chapter of the Electronic Frontier Foundation, and he wrote tech guides for Ziff Davis. This, I think, Lil, this guy Clay Shirky is a renaissance man. Can we use that term here in 2016? Absolutely. I think we're going through another renaissance right here. Why not? I absolutely. You also know that he is a visiting Morrow lecturer at Harvard University's JFK School of Government, instructing a course on new media and public action in... um, 
fall of 2010. Everybody who's listening, just go look up Clay Shirky and look up Lil Moen also. Thank you, Lil. Great introduction and a good start to our topic. Let me introduce our second panelist. We're also very pleased to welcome Max Dower, D-O-W-E-R. If he's not already a household name, he will be. He is the artist and founder of Unfortunate Portrait. That's right. He started his apparel and artwork business after his drawings, and I quote, caught fire on Instagram. Uh, Max was planning to be a lawyer, or somebody was planning for Max to be a lawyer, and he went through the law school, he got the degree, and here's the quote. Max says he decided to roll the dice and launch this company that I thought had infinite potential. He had over 30,000 followers on Instagram. He has, and his LA-based company is scaling globally. He's a perfect example of what we're talking today, becoming digital and not losing the human touch, the human quality. They're scaling globally via online sales and retailers like, and there's a whole bunch he'll discuss later. Max has sent me a quote from Albert Hubbard. I also wasn't familiar with Albert. He was, he lived till 1915, an American writer, publisher, artist, and philosopher, maybe a little bit like Max. Uh, let's see what we can find out about him. He started out as a traveling salesman. This is not Max. This is Albert, Albert Green Hubbard. Started out as a traveling salesman for the Larkin Soap Company. Now he is best known as the founder of the Roy Croft Artisan Community in East Aurora, New York, an influential exponent of the arts and crafts movement. He has many publications, including a nine-volume work called Little Journeys to the Homes of the Great and a short publication called A Message to Garcia. What may be most outstanding about Albert Hubbard is that he and his second wife died on board the RMS Lusitania when it was sunk by a German sub submarine off the coast of Ireland on May 7, 1915. Wow, another interesting Renaissance man. Here's the quote Max picked. One machine can do the work of 50 ordinary men. No machine can do the work of one extraordinary man. Max Dower, we're so excited to have you on the show. How are you, Max? Hi, I'm great. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you. I'm I'm very surprised somebody as young as you, and please take that as a compliment, has looked back in history at somebody named Albert Green Hubbard, who died in 1915, and you found a fabulous quote. So tell me, are you a fan of Hubbard's? How did you find the quote? And talk to me about how it relates to our topic today, Max. You know, I'm going to be honest, I'd never heard of him before. You know, I just was looking, like, you know, so what are some good quotes about this, this kind of emergence of technology and business? And I saw this one, and I thought it was like, pretty perfect for what we're going to talk about today because, you know, throughout all of these technological advances and things that we're, you know, trying to implement into our businesses, I think that the human decisions behind it all is is ultimately always the most important aspect of any uh, advancement, you know, you're making as a business. So I just like that quote because, you know, the machines are tools that we we need to implement and know and understand, but... um, the men and women, you know, making the decisions about how to implement them and even how to develop them in the first place are the most important components of it. Very interesting. And and Max, if we take the phrase one extraordinary man and we relate it to, let's say, a business person like you or going back to uh, Clay Shirky, is this the type of extraordinary, do you think, Harvard was talking about someone who maybe starts out going in one direction and then finds a creative mindset, finds a creative passion and says, I'm going to be extraordinary because I'm going to follow my dream, my passion, my true north or my north star, however you call it. Do you think that's, uh, do you think Hubbard was talking about that, people like you and Clay Shirky? Well, I'd like to, I'd like to think so. I mean, <laughs> I guess, um, you know, yeah, if, if it makes me extraordinary, then sure. But 
I, I think it. that, you know, we're seeing that more and more that people are, you know, with, with the technology and, and the things that we're able to do now are much more able to follow, uh, you know, their dreams and what they want to be doing more so than what they, like, should be doing or need to be doing. I think that there's a lot more opportunity now with um, all the machines that are out there. And didn't you have to make that decision when you were facing taking the bar exam and you decided to roll the dice, as I quoted you saying, and you said, nah, something else I think I'm really going to do. How hard was that decision? And, and that decision is part of who you are in the persona of your company. So, Max, what, what went through your mind when you had to make that decision? Or did you have to make it at all? You know, I, I, I gave it a lot less thought than I think um, you'd imagine, you know, or maybe that I, I should have at the time. But it was just really kind of a gut feeling that um, I really just did not want to take that bar exam and practice law a few months later. Um, and I, you know, more, more so than that, I think that I really enjoyed, you know, Unfortunate Portrait and drawing and, you know, spreading these drawings I was doing in the products to a lot of people, like what, what was becoming all over the world, really, on a smaller scale at the time. But while I was in law school, when I first started it, um, I really got to see, like, the potential I thought it had to, to spread and for me to actually just be doing something I was enjoying every day. Um, and I don't know, it just wasn't really that hard of a decision. I feel like the hardest part was maybe, you know, up until like a few months ago, I, there wasn't a day that went by where someone didn't ask me like, do you regret, you know, not taking the bar exam or, you know, what do your parents think about that? You know, people mm-hmm. ask me that a lot, but that was probably the of hardest course. part of the decision. Yeah, I, I know at least one other person, probably in your age group, who went to law school, got the degree. I think she even passed the bar, and she decided her passion was being a piano teacher. I know, you can just see her parents going, really? And she also creates, I, I won't give her name on the air, but she's based in uh, Miami, and she creates one-of-a-kind and and in small batches uh, purses and cosmetic bags that have all, and jewelry that has already appeared in the, I'll call them the go bags, the gift bags bags at the Oscars, at the Academy Awards. She gets huge orders. She takes all kinds of findings and things. Some of them where some of us would say, ooh, really? You know, pieces of things and animal stuff. And she puts them into these handbags and she is tracking a worldwide following. And here's another young woman with a law degree. So I have a feeling law school may be a good starting point for people with very big personalities who want to have their own creative passion in life. I, I just think maybe we're seeing a trend here. I think we'll have to do a, a show on that. Max, a pleasure to meet you, and thanks for indulging my questions. I know you said, what am I doing here? You know what you're doing here. You're here to <laughs> contribute some very good information, and you do have a lot to say, so we're going to get you to say it on the air. Thank you, Max. And rounding out our panel today is, Su- is Susan Reynolds. She's the Global Vice President of Partner Ecosystem at SAP, focusing on creating sales and program architecture to, ex- I love this, to explode the reach of the new SME solution, SME and SAP anywhere. But most important, Susan has sent me a quote from Gertrude Stein. Uh, I read up on Gertrude Stein. Of course, I've heard from her. She lived from 1874 to 1946, an American novelist, poet, and playwright. Very interesting background. She was a literary innovator, a pioneer of modernist literature, a Renaissance woman, if you will. And she broke with the narrative lineage 
linear and temporal conventions, whatever that means, thank you, Wikipedia, of the 19th century. She also collected modernist art, and she published, a, a, here's the quote, a kind of memoir of her Paris years, and it was called The Autobiography of Alice B. Toklas, written in the voice of Toklas, her life partner. So if anybody saw the movie, I think it was a movie, I Love You, Alice B. Toklas, I have a feeling that's where it came from. She also attended Radcliffe College, which at the time was an annex of Harvard University, and she was a student of psychologist William James. All kinds of interesting experiments and studies on the stream of consciousness, which she later denied writing about. So, very interesting person. Here's a quote Susan picked. Susan, sorry for the side road here, but it was fascinating. The quote is, everybody gets so much information all day long that they lose their common sense. And Susan, I'm fascinated because Gertrude Stein died in 1946, way before cell phones, way before the internet, way before this digital connection age we're living in. So, Susan Reynolds, welcome, and are you a big fan of Gertrude Stein? Talk to me. <laughs> yeah, and I think she was definitely a visionary game changer herself, right, a hundred years ago. But I love this quote for exactly the reason you just said, that it sounds so, like, fresh and contemporary, but she was writing about things a hundred years ago. And so I think I like it because it gives me hope. Some days I get up in the morning and I think, especially in the political cycle that we're in in the U.S. Oh. right now, and you just think we're completely overwhelmed by just crazy amounts of spurious information all over the place. And it feels like it's such an overwhelming element of our particular time and place. And I think the reality is this is just a cycle of, you know, part of the human condition that we create all this information around us and it still becomes the the goal and the intent to figure out what of all this junk flying around is the part that's really important and how do I make my voice heard within that kind of a storm. So it is the timing of when she lived and what she said that makes it, you know, so interesting to me. Very, what do you think Gertrude Stein would say, Susan, let, just between us? You know, nobody else is listening. <laughs> what would she say if she found out that somebody named Susan Reynolds, who works for a company like SAP, used her, one of her quotes, a very iconic quote, which does sound so current and so fresh and so today, I won't say modern, so today, and she was being quoted on an Internet-based, what is the Internet, radio show heard by people all over the world. What do you think Gertrude would say? Would she thank you? Would she say, what? Or would she say, hey, quote me again, Susan, I love this. What would she do? No, I think she would say, quote me again. I mean, I feel like she was a person that definitely work to make her voice heard again in a time and place where certainly for women and for women that made some of the choices she did, did not necessarily have an easy time getting her voice heard. So I feel like she would be someone, man, she would kill Twitter, right? She's good at talking <laughs> in 140 uh, character phrases. So That's I think right. she would have uh, done really well in this time. That's right. You know, we have three really amazing quotes from our three amazing panelists already. Good start. And now it's time for me to give you all a little bit of a break on air. I'm going to ask you what's in your cup today or what are you planning to drink later? I know you all have something fabulous to share with me. So, Lil Moen, where are you calling from? What time of day is it? And what are you drinking right now if it's great or if it's not? What great beverage will you be drinking or thinking about later? Well, I'm in Palo Alto, California. It's bright and early in the morning here, at 7:20, and uh, oh. I have in front, yeah, I have in front of me a glass of something called PMT. People call it pearl milk tea. I don't know if you've had this, but it's a pretty interesting concoction. So, what? What is it? Yeah. What is it? Tell me what PMT is. 
PMT stands for pearl milk tea, and I had not heard about this until a couple of weeks ago, and it just so happened that both my teenagers were here at home, and I said, okay, let's go get something, and they said, okay, we're going to take you to the mall, to the store, which sells pearl milk tea. It's basically cold tea, and sometimes ice, sometimes not, and it's, it's got fruit flavors, and it's a little fizzy, and at the bottom of it, there's a bunch of these globules. I don't know how to describe it better. It's uh, basically tapioca globules. Right. And, it kind of feels like pretty yucky, but once you taste it, it's just amazing. It's very refreshing, and you got to drink it through this big fat straw. It's really yep. hard. You have to, this fat straw in which you got to kind of suck up the globules and drink the tea at the same time. It's, it's just an amazing feeling in your mouth. I think, uh, you know, I'm going to go back and keep doing this more and more simply because <laughs> this is actually an excuse for me to hang out with my teenage kids, really. I love it. And by the way, we know that drink here on the East Coast as bubble tea. It's a Taiwanese tea-based drink invented in Taichung in the 1980s. Most bubble tea recipes contain a tea-based mix shaken with fruit or milk to which chewy tapioca balls or fruit jellies are often added. They are popping up all over here. We have a kind of a Chinatown in addition to in Manhattan. We have one in Flushing, New York, huge agent population. And here in Great Neck, where I am, Lil, uh, one of our... we. Have have so many incorporated villages, like every 20 steps you're in another incorporated village. But the village of Great Neck Plaza just approved the application for a bubble tea vendor to open a restaurant here. So in May, I believe I'll be able to walk into that part of town and get bubble tea. And I'm going to think of you. I've never heard of it as pearl milk tea, but now I know. So it's bubble tea here. And thank you, Lil. I'm glad you're hanging out with the cool kids when you drink that. <laughs> I think that's great. Only when they and- me. Only with, I, I, you know, I think you're pretty cool, so I bet they let you do that all the time. Max Dower, where are you calling from? What time is it, and what's in your cup, or what are you thinking about? I'm calling from Los Angeles, so it's like this is the earliest that I've been on the phone with anyone in, in a long time. So it's like very <laughs> we are very honored. Time. We are very honored. What are you drinking? <laughs> yeah, so I'm, I've naturally got, I've got a boring answer that will get interesting, at least to me. I've got a Starbucks iced coffee here, but... You know, I'm, I'm normally not a Starbucks person except for they have this app now where you can order and pay for everything you want and then just show up and skip the line in the morning and just pick up your your drink at the counter and you don't have to deal with, you know, the, the Starbucks near me is like a line out the door every morning and you can just bypass all that, which for someone who's not a morning person is like an added benefit to getting coffee is, you know, you don't have to talk to anyone, you just go in, get the coffee and then, you know... You're awake. I like that. So is this the first time you've used the online ordering and pick up on a line of one? And uh, Max, are you here? We have your coffee. Uh, is this the first time you've used that, Max? No, this is now, like, it, it, it's the first, you know, month I'd say I've used it, but I've now used it, like, 20 times because, you know, as soon as I discovered it, I was like, this is, at least in the morning, I like going and, like, talking to people and going to more, like, an independent place in the, in the afternoon when I have another coffee. But in the morning, you know, it's, it's so fantastic for me. So, no, this is like my 20th time in 22 days or something. Well, there's a shout-out to Starbucks. Max Dower of Unfortunate yeah, like Portrait it, yeah. likes what you're doing. <laughs> so they did something very personal. Max, let's look at this for a second. Starbucks yeah. is far from an SME, an SMB, a small business, a newbie, an entrepreneur, a startup. They are big, what I call the big behemoths, and they added a personal touch for somebody like you who's in a young company who appreciates the human touch. That all comes together nicely, doesn't it, Max? Yeah, no, I really did. This is like, I, I'm always surprised, you know, still when like an app actually works, you know, and it does what, 
Because <laughs> like, sometimes they just have very simple problem-solving purposes that are, seem great, and then it's like it creates more problems you know, along the road trying to get it to work, but this actually just worked. So I was very excited about that. And I think Starbucks will be too. We'll have to tweet that later. Thank you very much. Susan Reynolds, you're certainly in good company today. I think Gertrude Stein would be even happier to know that you brought her along for the ride. Susan, where are you? What time is it? And tell me about what you love to drink. Uh, So I'm in Steamboat Springs, Colorado. And just to show how much I love this topic, there's 18 inches of fresh powder out there. It's a powder day in Steamboat. But I'm here on the phone with you guys. So. Well, thank um, you. When you're, well, are you having a pre-ski or an après-ski drink on your mind today? Uh, definitely pre-ski. I'm actually drinking a really dark um, chocolate, hot chocolate from um, Angelina's. It's a, a place in Paris that people probably know. They're fairly famous for their hot chocolate, but you can buy it online, and it's really dark, rich. You drink it like, you know, almost out of a dimitas cup, not a big gargantuan, you know, American-sized mug, but a really, you know, small one because it's really deep and dark. And I actually don't drink coffee. I'm like one of the few people on the planet not yet supporting Starbucks, but I love um chocolate and tea, so that's what I drink for caffeine in the morning. Now, important question here, Angelina. Sounds like, uh, is it a big business, a small business, and when you say you bought it online, do you buy it and mix it with water or with milk, or how do you brew it? Right, yeah, no, you can, um, it's very old. I think it was uh, it was probably there, maybe Gertrude Stein actually had one, because it's been there since the <laughs> early 1900s. It's right across from the Louvre. Um, and yeah, you just, um, the granules come, they look like bits of shaved um, chocolate themselves, so they're quite chunky, and then you still mix it with water, with hot water. Oh, I love it. And here I'm looking online, Yelp says, uh, 673 reviews of Angelina, quote, best chocolate show, C-H-A-U-D means hot, ever. It's pricey, but I love it. I looked it up, and I have the address. If anybody's in the neighborhood where you want to go, it's it's <laughs> two two in Paris today. Absolutely, two. You never know. Two two six Rue de Rivoli, seventy five zero zero one Paris, France. The phone number is plus thirty three one forty two sixty eighty two zero zero. They're open from seven thirty a.m. to seven p.m. Paris time, and their website is Angelina A N G E L I N A hyphen, that's a real dash, not the underscore, hyphen Paris, P-A-R-I-S dot F-R, and it's Angelina Paris, Salon de Thé et Epicerie Fine à Paris. How did I do, Susan? Was that okay? That's great. Thank you. I still remember a little, little bit of French and can pour on the accent when I need to. What fabulous drinks. We have a great panel today. Off to a great start. Our topic, uh, we have already woven it into everything that we've discussed. Becoming digital, staying human. Be true to you and your business. Of course, we're talking to the entrepreneur, to the small business, to the startup, to the young, small to mid-sized business looking to join the digital network, the digital economy, and be part of the digital race to the finish line with great profits and and great expansion. But I think we're still talking to everybody because, and we'll get into this after the break when we come back with the roundtable, I'm going to ask my panelists how big companies that are established and that are gargantuan and have all kinds of rules and processes and infrastructures and committees and teams and, oh my goodness, how they can incorporate what we're talking about today, that human touch, that personalization into their company to go back to where they were When they were a startup and people said, oh, do you know about them? They do this special thing and maybe they can become that again. So I think we have bookends of the topic. Susan, does that sound reasonable to you? Can we approach this from both sides? Sounds great. 
Okay, I like it. So we're talking to, and I like when they agree with me, Lil Moen, Max Dower, and Susan Reynolds. We're all over the place. Lil's in Palo Alto, Max is in L.A., and Susan is in snowy Steamboat Springs, Colorado. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, drinking cool, clear water with a bright yellow straw because it's a bright, sunny day here on Long Island, New York. We got through our rain and our so-called pseudo-snow on Sunday. Thank you, Al Roker. It didn't really happen here. And uh, we're talking to my three panelists on Meet the Visionary Game Changers Radio. If you're keeping track, this is episode number 12. We're almost at the end of the season. One more to go a month from today. And it's been a great ride. We're, we're working with Romana Reidinger and all kinds of wonderful people at SAP on this series. So don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. We'll be right back with a lot more. You don't want to miss this, I promise. Justin out. it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The world is at an inflection point where we capture more information than ever before and are more interconnected. While this has led to technological breakthroughs where new industries have been created, there are still new areas evolving where billions of people can be reached. All it takes is to unlock the transformative power of technological change to improve people's lives. Join our experts as they analyze and discuss how the digital world can lead to a better future for everyone. Meet the Visionary Game Changers is presented by SAP. Visit www.sap.com. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Meet the Visionary Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Meet the Visionary Game Changers. Indeed, we're back and we're ready to start our roundtable. I was just telling Justin, my engineer, who's cool and young, that he should go look up Max Dower's company on fortunateportrait.com and see what's going on. I think Justin will enjoy that. We're ready to start the roundtable, and Lil Moen has agreed to do this with me. Lil, I'm looking at your notes here. Lil, one question before we start. You say you're an entrepreneur as well as an academician with a passion for bringing great technology products and services to life. What have you done as an entrepreneur? Anything quickly you want to share with us? Well, I've started a couple of companies. I've been in the starting team of several technology companies, and some of it, and we, at, at one time, uh, we built a company of, uh, which did comparison shopping and things of that sort on the web and ended up selling it to some large companies, and therefore I went, went back to being in small companies again. So it's been, it's been a fun ride. I'm very glad, and I'm glad you're here telling us about that fun ride and great insights. Lil Moen told me the following in his notes before the show. Lil says, and I think this is a quotable moment, digital marketing is really not about technology at all. It's all about people. In that sense, it is similar to traditional marketing. Why don't you take it from there, Lil? Talk to me. What does this all mean? And and we're going to have Max join in after about two minutes and Susan and give us their POV. Go ahead, Lil. Yeah, just just to give give you a quick example. You know, uh, last week I went to buy a pair of shoes with my son, and he's 19-year-old, and he wanted to buy a pair of sneakers, and we go to this local store nearby. And as soon as we go to the store, he picks out three different pairs of sneakers, and the next thing he does is take pictures of all three of them, 
and then he apparently sent it out to a bunch of his friends on the phone. And then I asked, what, what happens now? And he says, now we wait. And I said, so, okay, we are making small conversation for the next one and a half minutes. And he gets back about 20 responses, and they all say, okay. And he uses that as a, as a, as a basic way to pick which of the shoes he liked. And then he goes and buys that in front of the, with, with the store. I mean, so the point I'm trying to make here is that, you know, it is, it is important that it's not just the technology that's available to the kids or anybody. It's, the, it's just that the shoe store in this particular case has a lot to gain by being part of this larger community. It's all about the people that they need to interact with. And the more they can interact with the community just because it's available, that's what they need to do. And that's, that's why I say it's all about, it's all about you know, how, to, how to interact with people. It just so happens technology is available. Lil, one quick question before I bring in Max and Susan on this point. Do you think this is going to mean the end or the diminution of the workforce, the people who are literally on the floor, the, the sales clerks, the, the, the people who are wandering around in a brick and mortar where the person, this is the person I'm talking about, you might say, uh, excuse me, miss, uh, can you tell me about uh, what sizes this comes in? Do you need to ask a human being anymore? Are we making it human for the shopper and less human for the workforce who would have had a job? job? Are we eliminating those jobs? Thoughts? I think a little bit of both. I wouldn't say you're going to eliminate the positions. Definitely not. In fact, the more important thing is the people who need to be in the stores. In fact, I, this is an important point which I make in, to a lot, of, a lot of companies that I work with is that your sales force needs to get on, on the same page as your customers. It just that it so happens that the, your customers got a, a fast jump on some technology and stuff like that and they got a little ahead of you, but they still need all the information. And the more a human person can tell you, yeah, you know, I, I also know. I've read all the report reviews on the on the on the on the web. I I, I'm, I also wear the same shoes. I happen to know more, and I'm selling these shoes to you. Therefore, it's important, and and that uh, validation is important. The human validation is important. It's just that they need to be just as uh, up to speed uh, on the connect and, and and just as connected as the customers are. That's all. Very interesting points. Max Dower, love to get your POV on this. What do you think? Agree or disagree and expand it in any direction you want to go, Max? Yeah, I completely agree. And I think that um, it, it definitely hasn't eliminated the need for brick and mortar, you know, the purpose of brick and mortar stores. I think it's maybe raised the bar a little bit for the role of, ah. you know, like salespeople. If I go to a store now, it's it's now an inconvenience. Like, I, I can assume that whatever I'm going to go to that store for, I can probably order online and not leave, you know, my, my computer. But if I'm going to go to a store, it's because I do want some sort of expert opinion or someone with a little experience with that product, you know, who works at that store to guide me through the buying process. And I think that, so, you know, that does raise the bar a little bit for salespeople to be, you know, very informed about the products that they're selling and, and engaged with you, you know, while you're there, not just kind of facilitating the checkout process. But, um, right. yeah, I definitely think that brick and mortar, especially in the clothing space, you know, that, that I'm in, like, I will rarely buy something online before I've, you, you know, at least tried it on or seen a friend wearing it in real life. You know, I, I, there's some benefit still to the, the real-life part first and then you know the transaction after that instead of just buying online right away thank you max and i think what you and lil have said and i'm going to get susan to jump in on this in a second is that it not only raises the bar for human salespeople, 
it makes them into a more pressurized job. It, it, it adds pressure to them because they have to know at least as much as people can find out online or they need to find it online at the same time their face-to-face customers are so that they can add value to the information that's readily available digitally. Would you agree with that, Max? Yeah, yeah, although I'd say, I mean, I'm not sure if I understood, but, uh, you know, when I have a salesperson who's looking up on their phone the answer to mm-hmm. my question in front of me, I, it's it's like I can do that, too. You know, I, I have had that situation where they're able to look it up yes. really quickly and get the info, but it's like, you know, that, then they're not the person anymore. I, I'd like them to be prepared and it, not even like they need to do their homework on it, but they just need to care about what it is that they're selling, and that will be reflected in, like, having learned about it before they try to sell it, I think. That's exactly the point I was making. You want them to add some kind of value by the fact that they're there, not just as a lookup vehicle to do what you're already doing. You exactly answered my question. Susan Reynolds, thoughts on the humanity about digital marketing that Max Dower said, I'm sorry, Lil Moen said, it's not about technology, it's about people. What do you think, Susan? Yeah, what strikes me is that it, it's no longer Boolean, like where there's retail and you walk in the door and that's how your transaction works, or it's totally online. Like when Amazon first came on and it was so exciting that you could, you know, make a transaction and not have to talk to a person and do it at midnight and all those things. And I feel like the examples that we're all bringing up, and when I talk to, you know, the small businesses, which is where I spend most of my days, it's about that almost every transaction has these combinations now that even if you're standing in a store, there was still some online action that you did, whether it was real time, like Lil mentioned, or it was before you got to the store, as Max mentioned, that it's this combination now. So it's no longer one end of the spectrum or the other. As businesses figure this out, they've got to assume that the customer is probably touching multiple actions at the same time. And even if the the deal goes down, so to say, in a retail store, it's highly unlikely that the customer's experience was only that inside the store that they've already done some connection to you online before they walked in or while they were in the store. And and similarly, even if they bought it online, maybe they looked at it in your retail store, went home, decided a couple of things, and then actually made the transaction. So that's what's interesting to me as we plan, you know, uh, and discuss with businesses moving forward is how do you live in this middle world where everything is both versus one or the other? Mm-hmm. Thank you, Susan. Thank you all. I'm going to go back to Lil before I move on to some of Max Dower's notes. Lil, let's go back to one of my opening statements, the point of what we're trying to do here. How can small businesses, mid-sized businesses, become a better digital version of themselves without losing the personal human touch that made them unique? Let's let's visit this. Uh, we're, we're basically talking about the definition of how do you go digital and what does it mean to the human being who will be your buyer, your customer, the consumer of your goods and services services and your products. So the question is, if we go back to this, uh, let's go around the table. What would the advice be to a small business that has become digital? They are online. They do have all kinds of apps that work. Thank you, Max Dower. So you have a good, pleasant experience, but you still want that personal human touch. Does it come from a salesperson saying, Oh, Bonnie, let me tell you, you just won't believe um, this this uh, story you're in now. I'd like to tell you the story about how the owners started it. I think you're going to love shopping here because Mary and Bob just put their heart and soul into this, and there's something here you won't find anywhere else. Does it come down to that part of the human touch? Let's start with Lil. Thoughts? 
Yeah, uh, it, it could come down to that, but uh, I, I want to take a slightly different approach to that. If I, if I, were, if yeah. I were the small shop, uh, store owner, uh, and if I was a person on the sales floor, I, would, I think the most important thing for me is to try to remember who this customer is, and that is going to, I, I can get a lot of information from previous uh, transactions and other. Uh-huh. I think the longer-term relationship that you're building, the fact that you're a person that they, that they know and can trust, and they can actually come talk to you. And it doesn't matter if you, I mean, uh, where, where the store came from or the history of the store. That, that's important too. But I think the, the trust factor that you build just by being there is, is far more than anything you can do on digital. I mean, you would go back to places to, to, and, to, and to go talk to people with whom you trust, even if you know as much or, as much or more than what, what, the, what you do, what they do about the product. It's not just the product. It's the relationship and the trust, really. I love that. Relationships and trust. That's what I was going for. Max Dower, talk to me. What about you? Your company's getting big. How do you maintain that relationship and trust? I think that it's kind of a different order for me where, you know, the the meeting, the initial meeting with the customer is usually a digital one, you know, and and so the trust... Mm -hmm. Whereas, like, I think if, you know, if if we had a store, a brick-and-mortar store that, that was just our store and we were meeting face-to-face with customers, I think that that's, a, you know, we all know how to get, earn people's trust in person. You know, we've all been doing that for, before technology, but I think that the, the real, you know, problem that we're, not problem, but just um, the thing that we're trying Challenge? to figure out is how to get people's trust over the Internet when you've never met them or never seen mm-hmm. them in person. You, you may never meet them. Um, and how to be a human and use apply some of the same principles of earning another person's trust, but doing that digitally. And, um, you know, I, I think that there's a lot of things that go into that, but uh, it, it's the point to me is to not change who you or your company are too much once you get in, you know, the social media space to not try to become a different person or take on a different identity and to still be, you know, communicate the same message in the same way that you normally would in person, but just on a, on a different platform, you know, uh, on the internet. And, um, yeah, I think social media really allows businesses to uh, the opportunity to gain people's trust in pseudo real interactions with their potential customers. Thank you. Very well put. Yes, that is the challenge. Susan Reynolds, thoughts? Yeah, I think a couple interesting things building on what Max said. I think that is the core of you still got to stay who you are and not say things that maybe get you a few more followers on Instagram or Pinterest, but really isn't what made made you uh, made the core of your success. So, right, it's, that is a very human thing. That's true whether you're an individual or a business. I think um, one. So I think that's just a challenge, right, that, that we all face. Be, be authentic and stay true to who you are all day, every day, no matter what you're doing. That's not particularly uh, unique to business. But one of the things I do like about digital, even though it provides some of these, these challenges, is that you can also open these two-way communications with customers. And small businesses can do that just as well as big businesses. So they can use it to have a conversation and, and create some of that additional interaction, even if they're not limited to just eight hours a day in a retail store. So I think as long as you're, again, keeping your side of the, of the conversation um, core to who you were, but using the opportunity to have more conversations with your customers, you're going to get smarter about who they are, and they're going to feel much more connected to you because their relationship with you isn't limited to something that, that you know, what used to be traditional business hours kind of a thing. 
Thank you very much, Susan. Lil, anything you want to add since this uh, came up off of your first topic? Because I'm ready to move on to something very new and very interesting with Max Dower. Lil, anything you want to add? Yeah, actually, I do. As a matter of fact, I, mm-hmm. I, I, I do want to respond to what Max said. You know, and and what Susan yeah. said. The thing, the thing that re- strikes me as really important is in that online community that you're building, I think the key thing you can do is show your transparency because you really have nothing to hide. And that is what creates the ability ah. to show that you're digitally trusted. I mean, the really good brands and all the companies which are doing well on the web are ones mm-hmm. which are basically, you know, pretty much standing stark naked uh, and showing off what they have or don't have. And that really builds the kind of trust. And I feel that that's something that several companies are starting to do. Thank you very much. Max Dower. I want to talk about influencers. Very important. Let me read a little from your notes. And this is, I think this is a very hot topic. You've got some good lessons in here. You say social media is an excellent tool for spreading awareness about your products, your services, your company, what you do. Influencer with, influencers with tons of followers are important resources for a lot of companies. Great. But Max advises in most cases, it's not just the number of followers an influencer has. It's the qualitative aspects of the influencer following and Max says he'd rather reach five followers that trust and are loyal to the influencer than reach 500 followers who aren't. Max, very provocative. I think there's a great lesson to be learned here. Why don't you tell us more? Well, I think it does kind of go back to to Lil's point about, you know, being transparent and I think that, Mm -hmm. you know, people really know when, um, you know, because there are these big you know, there's like traditional celebrities, and now there's this emergence of so-called like social media celebrities, people that have become famous out of their social media success that they've had, and a lot of brands are looking to these people to promote their products and reach millions of, of people at a time, you know, just in a single post. Um, and I know that there's a lot of talk about like how many followers do they have, but to me, mm-hmm. you, you know, some of the most, because you can see in real time, like, this person posted my product, and you can see literally in, within seconds, you know, the feedback that people are giving and how much that's spreading. And in my experience, it's not about just the sheer number of eyeballs that are looking at a post. Um, it's if those people trust the source that it's coming from. If, if, if that person or, or even, you know, it could be just a media outlet that has built up a, a, f- a sort of following, has built up a following of people that believe what they're being told and, and care about what they're being told by that person. So, uh, I don't know. It was just, I, I, it was just an important point to me. Um, you know, I have like a, a friend now who we both, he started posting people's art on Instagram just kind of as a curator and um, kind of around the same time I started posting my drawings on Instagram. And you know, the first drawing of mine that he reposted, he had like 10,000 followers and I had like 1,000. And this guy, it's, it's Love Watts is his name on Instagram. He's got, you know, like a million followers now, and he still will repost my drawings. And every time he does, you know, my account blows up because people really go to his account to trust his opinions and and what he thinks looks cool on on Instagram as far as art goes, and they really respond to it and listen to him. Um, So I think that it really is important to know the the source, you know, that it's coming from and what that following is going to be like and how they're going to respond to that person. Thank you. Very interesting. You brought up a lot of good points. Susan Reynolds, love to get your POV on this, please. Right. I think it's just such an, a perfect example of quality over quantity in the digital space. 
And so that adage holds true, um, especially because digital offers too many options, right? If you go after everybody, um, then your message just dilutes completely. And so I think Max's point is really well taken and you see examples from every size business that you can possibly find out there. Thank you very much, Lil. Let's circle around to you. Thoughts on what Max shared? You agree? Disagree? I largely agree. There are a couple of comments I would make. One, actually, just one specific comment. The 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 hard part, and, I, and I'm not disagreeing, but I'm just adding an angle to it. The hard part here is figuring out who is authentic and who is not. And actually, it turns out that it's sort of, uh, I want to say, Darwinian in the sense that you know, uh, people figure it out pretty quickly whether somebody is a, is, a, is a fake curator or a real curator or a real aficionado of something. And they figure it out pretty quickly, and that's kind of amazing to me. It's very Darwinian. It's hard to explain, but you quickly find out, wait, wait a minute, this guy keeps tweeting about this stuff, and, I, and I'm referring to somebody who is the exact opposite of the person who is, tweeted, who, is, uh, who is posting Max's pictures. And you can figure out, hey, wait a minute, this guy is either getting paid for this or there's something going on here, and very quickly it turns around. So... I think the authenticity gets automatically established, and that's something which I find rather beautiful. Very interesting. Max, talk to this one. Interesting idea. What do you think? How do you know? You gave us one example. You have come across anybody who, eh, not so much? Yeah, I think that, um, I mean, I don't want to expose, like, anybody's secrets about how they make, you know, because I I think that some people, uh, there's ways that you can make social media, your social media look bigger than it really is. You know, you can purchase followers, and I think that there are ways now that we've we've learned to kind of detect that right away, like, okay, is this person's 500,000 followers, you know, are they genuine, or did they buy 100,000 of them, which means that they just bought, you know, robot accounts to follow them that aren't even real people, just to increase that number, um, so I think there's like kind of technical ways like that where you can tell, and then that off the bat it, it gives you a sign about you know how things are going to go after that. If if they've bought uh, a substantial amount of their following, then it, it's safe to say that you know that following is not going to be so trusting of them. Um, and it's also I think you, you know you can detect if people are getting paid all the time to promote things, that's, that's fairly easy to detect just based on their, their content that they're posting. And then you'll look at their comments from their followers and, and you'll always find some that are just like, we're tired of this, you know, basically calling these people out about, you know, you're just getting paid to do this, you don't really care about it. So I think if you just do 10 minutes of digging into their social media accounts and just, you know, looking at the content and, uh, you know, the following, I think it's pretty easy to tell who's uh, not as trusted as, as who is, I guess. Very interesting. Uh, anybody have any comments on that one? I think we've come full circle, and I just want to make sure we get all the thoughts out there. Good thread. Everybody good? Okay. I'm going to pursue something else here. I'm looking at Susan Rail. Let's see. Oh, we're going to almost go. It's almost time for our crystal ball predictions round, but I want to cover something with you, Susan. You say in your notes, and this goes back to the whole, we talked about, Susan, how Small businesses, SMEs, SMBs, startups, whatever you want to call them, however you want to label them, they need to be true to their roots, to their authenticity, if you will, to the passion that started the company that attracted followers and customers in the first place. Uh, We didn't talk about how they want to 
how they not just how they need to from a business perspective, but how they want to. And so here's an interesting statement from Susan Reynolds. She says, SMEs want to pursue their passion, not technology. And Susan brought me a quote from Bram Manassian at Gray Gallery. I want to keep it a tactile relationship. I don't want customers feeling like they are dealing with a machine. Very interesting. Susan, any thoughts on and how it how do the how do these new businesses balance the need to have a good digital footprint, if you will, to how to be on Facebook and how to be on Instagram and how to be on Pinterest and how to keep whatever other social networking is important to their business and still have time to follow their passion. How do they balance that workload, Susan? It is a workload. Definitely. And I think we we talk a lot about just right the setting what's your goal your goal isn't to have gazillion thousand followers on you know name the social um uh, outlet they're really just trying to get their product or their passion out in the marketplace so keep that as the, as the goal and don't get enamored by just the names and the buzzwords of technology and really think about, mm-hmm. okay, what I want to do is grow, right? That's what a small business wants to do. So every decision you make about what you, you know, purchase or use or, or access really should tie back to that goal. So it's a really simple statement, but it's hard to do with the amount of choices that people have out there across technology and across digital outlets, right? It's just totally overwhelming. And so it's just back to keeping, you know, simple statements in front of them. And I love working with Bram because he's really clear about that. He's an artist similar to Max, right? Like they, they can talk so articulately about why they get up in the morning and it's not because, um, they, they, um, envision being a, um, you know, business person per se, they envision being an artist and bringing that art out to the workplace. So I, I think, you know, I find businesses that are the most successful really are able to keep that goal in the forefront and they don't get lost in the buzzwords of technologies and they figure out how to use technology as a tool for that passion. Thank you, Susan. Exactly where I wanted to go. And guess what? We're almost out of time. So I'm going to give you each 30 seconds for predictions. I love the year 2020. It just sounds so cool. How far in the future? 30 seconds. Lil Moen, our professor of the day. What do you think will change about this topic if we met again at that time in future? Lil, predictions, go. I think people will be a lot more comfortable that other people know a lot about them. And people are not that comfortable today. And I think people are going to be a lot more comfortable with being a lot less private simply because the world is going to be a far more connected place. And uh, this will be get only much more public and less private when uh, Hillary comes to her second term. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you just snuck that in there smooth as bubble tea, didn't you, with a big straw? Thank you very much, Lil Moen. Max Dower, 30 seconds. Per, I can give you a full minute, actually, because Lil was so brief and to the point. Max, um, 60 seconds my, so prediction. To Lil's, I, I, I was just going to say that, you know, <laughs> I, I think all of this will, will just continue to, to grow and, and become less of a mystery as just the, the general public becomes more trusting of just the the process of, of buying something over the Internet from, you know, a company who you've actually never met a person who works for that company, but, you, you know, people are just going to become a lot more, it's going to become the norm. You know, you buy something on the Internet, you, you have payment protection, you know, if the seller doesn't ever send you the thing. Like, all the things that I worried about two years ago were like, am I ever going to get a package? I'm just giving my credit card, and I've never mm-hmm. met these people, you know, that kind of, basic distrust of the whole process, I think, will begin to 
or it already has begun to fade, but it'll kind of go away eventually. And I don't know how many years from now or, or when that'll happen, but when it does, I think that a lot of these things will be, seem like less of a mystery. You know, we'll, we'll kind of have that basic trust to start with at least. Thank you very much. And quick question for you, Max, just a one-word one answer, please. What's the percent of your time or your day on average that you spend on the digital aspects of business versus the designing aspects? Quickly, what's the answer? 10%. 10% on the digital? Digital, yeah. Oh, you've got it down. Very, very good. I think that's what we were yeah. looking for. Susan Reynolds, 30 sec. I'll give you 45 seconds. I'm in a generous <laughs> mood. Prediction. Susan, go. Yeah, I agree with these guys. I think the technology is going to continue to evolve in this really nice, crisp way. But I think I still believe that humans inherently, right, we're kind of messy and non-linear. And so that, you know, as technology evolves, we'll still continue to be grappling with this, you know, intersection of how do we use all these, um, you know, very clear-cut technology elements and drive it, you know, into how humans interact with that and with each other. So I think it's, um, as much as I think there will be changes in um, 20 years, I think we're still in the same place that I started with Gertrude Stein, that these basic <laughs> adages will be, uh, be very similar. Thank you, Susan. We are out of time. I want to thank our extraordinary panelists, Lil Moen. Hope you enjoyed yourself. Lil is on the faculty of University of Chicago Booth Graduate School of Business. Max Dower from Unfortunate Portrait. Go look him up. Cool stuff. Susan Reynolds at SAP. Uh, all three very interesting people, good speakers, and thanks for your thought leadership. And thank you to SAP Small Biz who was tweeting along with me. Go take a look. Hashtag SAP Radio. I captured a lot, I think, of the words of wisdom of our panelists. Thank you to Romana Reitinger at SAP for sponsoring the series and Justin at the Business Service Business Channel at WorldTalkRadioVoiceAmerica.com. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and I predict we're done with our broadcast week, and I'll be back next week with at least four live shows under the umbrella of Game Changers Radio presented by SAP. So here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. Maybe Max will design a drawing for our seatbelt someday. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. Bonnie D. Graham signing off. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Meet the Visionary Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run business is run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again Thursdays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.